What's up, guys? It's time for another episode of the Mets Maniacs Podcast. I'm your host, Ty Wilkes, along with co-host Uncle Mike, Mike Bresnack. Coming at you with another episode now to cover a few things. Before I get into exactly what we covered, just want to keep you guys updated on the personal lives of me and Uncle Mike. I know you guys care so much. We both recently got into chess after watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Great show about a prodigy chess player. Uh, She's fantastic. Beth Harmon. Check it out. Uh, Do yourself a favor. Um, Just want to let you guys know I beat Mike three times consecutively today in chess. That's a 3-0 record for today, Sunday, 12-6. So now that that's out of the way, uh, for what we'll be covering today on the uh, podcast, it'll be um, who the Mets non-tendered recently uh, with Chase and Shreve, Robert Gisselman, uh Stephen Matz. Uh, we, we break that down a little bit for you. Um, and whether we kept or let those guys go, we'll break that down. Of course, we touch free agents that are still available and signings we might do with James McCann, Trevor Bauer, Springer, Real Muto, Lindor. We dive a little deeper into that now that we're further into the offseason, touch on the vacant spot for the GM position currently for the Mets as well. I also keyed in the Mets' intimidating offense to remind you guys in the latter half of 2019 and then also even through 2020. It's something that I forgot about before diving into the numbers and the statistics to see just how lethal this offense was, even without the heart of our lineup really producing for most of the year. So a lot of good content coming at you guys. Um, me and Mike, as you'll hear in the beginning, also had some nice holiday blend Starbucks. Uh, really doing some advertising for these people who do not pay us. But, uh, you know, we're feeling good. Holiday spirit's coming. Um, we're just hoping for that big gift from our Santa. We know him as Steve Cohen. We're hoping for that big signing. Me and Mike are really hoping that we can get Bauer. But uh, lock in, guys. Going to give you that quick ad message. And we'll jump right in to the heart of the podcast. See you guys in a bit. Starbucks and Phil's right there too. I didn't notice there was a Starbucks until I walked by. I did like yeah. a 360 and said, that's where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. Staff there is very friendly. They are. Yeah. It's yeah. huge inside. They liked too. me. Very big. Yeah. Very big. That's nice. But um, all right, well, uh, let's get this underway. Uh, it's been a while since we uh, you know, last kind of keyed in, at least a month, but there's some things we want to talk about in the offseason here. Uh, obviously this is Mets Maniacs. I'm your host, Ty Wiltz, along with co-host Mike Bresnack. Uh, we're going to talk about the offseason, some potential moves, moves we already made, and the direction that we would like to see the Mets to go, kind of get everybody caught up to speed. I know we're all waiting for the big superstar signing. I think, and uh, Mike, I'm, I'm sure you agree too, at least so far, we've been successful in the offseason, but there's some holes to fill, both on the team and then also, obviously, uh, on the staff side, personnel, with no GM yet. Um, but first, Mike, I want to talk about... Um, non-tendered players we chose to keep, players we uh, elected not to keep. You want to start with Chase and Shreve. Uh, I think the big names really are Shreve, Gisellman, and Mats. Obviously, the Mets elected to keep Mats and Gisellman, and they chose to let Shreve go. Can I get your take on that trio? So, I'll start receiving Mats. Mats is still young. Mats has shown that he's been capable. Uh, Mats had an awful 2020. Historically bad 2020. Very bad. I like to add uh, very bad 2020. <laughs> to the point where it's like we almost lost faith in him as a human. <laughs> not, to, uh, not to be too dramatic there, but I think that's pretty apt to say. Uh, but uh, he was bad. Uh, but $5 million, especially in the Steve Cohen era, right. isn't $5 million really. It's kind of Trump change. And... With somebody who's shown he has potential, I think you do keep him and you make sure he has the normal spring training that he should, that he's used to have. 162 game season where you could kind of put him in different situations, low leverage situations and stuff like that. Whether or not you want to start him, I 
don't necessarily think that's mm-hmm. quite the way to go. I mean, maybe you do start him until Syndergaard gets back, something, something like that. Uh, if you want to bring him out of the bullpen, uh, that's something as well. I think something similar goes for Robert Gazelman. Gazelman's shown he's had success out of the bullpen. I think last week, last year we did use him as a spot starter, in which he struggled. I mean, it, it is hard for bullpen arms to be spot starters, uh, to come in and pitch multiple innings, and Gazelman struggled. Injury problems too, but right, he, he struggled nonetheless. Yeah, but he's another guy who's shown he's capable of being a a productive pitcher out of the bullpen, so I think that's a, another good tender. Uh, the non-tender kind of surprised me a little bit. I mean, Jason Shreve wasn't somebody we really uh, depended on last year, but he is a lefty, and we did lose Justin Wilson to free agency. So the right. fact that we didn't bring him back, and I don't know if we actually have a lefty arm in the bullpen right now. I mean, I guess it, de- it kind of depends what you uh, count Steven Matz as, whether he's a starter or bullpen arm, but I don't think we really have one. And Shreve was good when he did pitch. I mean, he wasn't like in uh, stressful situations or really in games that mattered that much throughout uh, throughout the 60-game season. But I would think that his tender was probably less than $2 million. I, I can't imagine it was that much. Uh, I think it would have been decently mm-hmm. smart to bring him back. Uh, I think a lot, I think just a little over a million. Yeah, but, so, yeah. you know, we're like a brand. 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 So, uh, but, yeah, that's what I think. I think the two tenders make sense. I think the non-tender of uh, – the big non-tender of Jason Shreve, I mean, I, I think big is also a uh, – an in word for it because realistically Chasen Shreve wasn't like a piece we're counting on for the 2021 season but he's probably the most notable name we didn't tender uh, I, yeah. think, I think that is a decently questionable call but not a make or break call yeah to comment on that too I think uh, maybe I'll hop in with Matt's first um, look I, I think you're right in saying that there's not a lot of risk to signing Matt's uh, 5 million in the Steve Cohen era is not a lot of money. And that's why also I'm kind of confused why we decided to let go of Shreve, unless maybe there's something else working behind the scenes. Like we said before, you know, it seems like Steve Cohen might like to move in silence, which I can definitely support. So I don't know if there's, you know, if nobody picks him up, uh, if we could sign him, maybe do a minor league contract that, that might uh, be positive for the Mets. Again, Shreve's not a guy who has had career success, but also I think he pitched very well for the Mets through certain stretches. Uh, he wasn't exactly um, consistent. I know he had a really bad September to wrap up the season, but you know, if you look at Matt's, in 2020, he pitched to a 9.68 ERA. As for start against Braves, uh, the dude just sucked. Um, so again, for five million to keep this K, but only under the guys that, or uh, rather on, on, on principle, that Matt's isn't going to go into this season 2021 and be our fifth starter. I think he could become a fifth starter, and that's where the low risk of why not sign him if he can figure it out because. The guy obviously still has potential. As we talked about before, Mike, uh, he is a mental midget. He can't seem to bounce a rough start or just a rough couple of innings. Um, and he can't get back on track. He's always been streaky throughout his career, even when he's put together good seasons. Um, but I'm hoping this guy starts in the bullpen. If he gives us some good relief, long relief appearances, then we can throw him in, um, maybe to make a couple you know, spot uh, fit starts. But I'd rather pick up another pitcher and kind of solidify our starting rotation with Matt's just totally out of the picture. So it's one of those things of, okay, if he does well, that's great. It supplements the team, but we're not counting on or building the team or expecting Matt's to really configure the starting pitching role in the rotation in any way. Like maybe if injuries happen, we can pull him in. I just still want to stay as far away from him as possible for now. That being said, I, you know, I think it's okay that he's on the team going into 2021. Um, yeah, do wish we kept Shreve again. He Brad Hand's obviously a much, much better reliever, but Shreve put on great stretches, and I think another team 
uh, could tap into his potential a little more. I mean, I think he's 30, so he's a little older, but you know, I, I still think uh, he could provide a lot of value to the Mets at a tenth of the cost of hand. Um, I don't think it's anything huge, but I, I think it would have been nice to have him on the team. So I think that's the first move maybe I'm a little skeptical of, but I'm going to give more of my trust now to the Cohen era. Whereas before in the Wilpon era, I think I'd be, you know, a little, a little more angry, maybe unjustifiably so, but given their track record, if they decided to let go of Shreve. Gasellin too, he really hasn't pitched well since he came up in 2016 for the Mets. But in 2016, I mean, this guy, I think his ERA was in the 2-4-2 two, two, two over the uh, 2016 year. Uh, 44 innings pitched, so, you know, not, not a ton of work there, but still the guy looked really sharp. Uh, there was times when I thought he was a better pitcher than Lugo in 2016, but um, I guess we'll see what he can do coming off his injury last year. Uh, only pitched 14 innings, but had a 9-6-4 ERA, so not a guy, too, I think we can rely on moving forward. Another thing you said about Jason Shreve, uh, under the Wilpon era, I would have kind of... Uh, I would have kind of marked it up to the Wilpon just being cheap, not wanting to pick up that $1 million contract. Uh, but in the Steve Cohen era, I guess it's a little bit more optimism. I'm thinking of it as either Monster A... positions, maybe? Yeah, A, uh, more moves around the horizon, moves that would kind of eliminate Jason Tree's role in that bullpen, or right. B, an analytical decision that was like... Jason Shreve was really good in the 60-game season. He doesn't have a great track record over the course of his career of being a productive bullpen pitcher. Maybe it was kind of a flash-in-the-pan type thing. Maybe we will kind of let him go and let him sign a bigger deal with another team, kind of helping him in his uh, career uh, down the line as opposed to the Mets kind of giving him a uh, semi-small contract and kind of fading him out as we uh, hopefully upgrade that bullpen and make Jason Shreve irrelevant. So Right. I, I think that's interesting, too. And I, and I love the fact that the Mets are putting in more effort to, to build out their analytics department to fortify that realm. I think that's very important in uh, the days of baseball nowadays. But uh, Shreve, when he was pitching well for the Mets, I mean, he had good whip and good uh, Ks per nine. Two metrics I think people are going to like dig into if you're, you're in the market looking for a left-handed reliever they might find attractive in Shreve. Uh, again, maybe there's something the analytics department on the Mets is seeing that I'm not entirely possible. That's their job. Uh, my job is to talk about it. Um, but yeah, uh, interesting. I, I like the idea of let's clear up some space on our roster to make additional moves. And I think we're kind of just waiting for the next big move which I think is a good segue. Um, right now, right, I know we talked about previously on this show going to perhaps Rumuzo. We tossed around Springer, uh, Jake Odorizzi, Bauer, obviously. Where are you at right now in terms of uh, who you want after the Mets, you know, sign Trevor May uh, and, and also uh, Marcus Stroman? Uh, what, what are you thinking right now is our next big move? Where should we go? I'm thinking we're going back to starting pitching. Uh, it's never a well that's too deep. Uh, no. <laughs> so I think starting pitching is a huge thing. Uh, the thing that worries me a little bit is the uh, we did just uh, re-sign or tender Stephen Matt. So it's kind of a starter. Syndergaard's coming back at some point. So yeah. that's definitely a starter. Uh, Kluber, or not Kluber, I'm sorry. Uh, Trevor Bauer is somebody who I really want. I think he's number one right now on my priority list. If you have a rotation of Trevor Bauer, Jacob DeGrom. Whoa, whoa, whoa. First off, Jacob DeGrom, Jacob then Trevor. <laughs> Jacob DeGrom, go. Trevor Bauer. He, uh, the last three winners, the uh, NL Cy Young. And then you add in Marcus Stroman, who's obviously a very solid starter in his own right. You add in David Peterson from last year, who pitched incredibly well. That fifth spot's a little up for the up for uh, debate, whether or not you want to you want to kind of have Stephen Matz bridge that gap until Syndergaard gets back, whether or not you want to sign yeah, Corey Kluber, Jake Odorizzi. Or now even, as we 
uh, recognized this morning, the Phillies are trying to dump Zach Wheeler. Mm. And I don't know what that would take, and I have a really weird feeling about that. We trade for Zach Wheeler, then all of a sudden the prospects we trade for them turn, turn into like Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley, like two Mets killers <laughs> down the line. But uh, Zach Wheeler's on a decently affordable contract. I think he signed a 5-119 last year, so I think that nets to like 22 a year. Uh, 24 year, I think, my math there. So he's pro- pretty much on like a 495 right now, which is a very manageable contract, I'm, especially in the Steve Cohen era. Uh, right. So I think that would that would obviously look great. Uh, I don't know if the Phillies would trade in division. Uh, I think down the line, I, I feel like that would be, I feel like they could get a similar offer to what the Mets would give them from an out of division opponent and not have very to true. face Zach Wheeler four or five times a year for the next four years. So that's another thing to consider. But I think, yeah, I think starting pitching is the next place to go. I would like to sign two starters, right. uh, but I would like one of them to be Trevor Bauer. If, if we could dive into that too, Mike, I know we were talking about this before too when we were recording, but if you look at the Mets rotation as you laid it out, and if we sign Trevor Bauer right now, and let's talk about the ceilings of each of these players, it is so difficult to find a solid 1A pitcher on your team. And that's why DeGrom for us is just, you know, incredible that this guy kind of came up, nobody knew who he was going to be, and he's a clear 1A pitcher in the league. There's really not a lot of 1A pitchers that you can find. Kind of the criteria that I was using is the ability to have like sustained seasons uh, successively with an ERA under three. And I mean, by that metric, Trevor Bauer wouldn't even be a 1A, right? I mean, this is a guy too, he debuted in 2012. And until last year, the only season he pitched under a four ERA was 2018 when he was an all-star with the Cleveland Indians. Now that being said, I think he's kind of an outlier to my criteria that I laid out just because you know, his last year he pitched to a 173, even though it was a shortened season. I think looking at his velocity, spin rate on his pitches, he's got four strikeout pitches. I mean, this guy is the real deal as far as 1As go. Um, but now you're looking at a starting pitching rotation that has Jacob deGrom as a clear-cut 1A, Trevor Bauer as a clear-cut 1A. You have Marcus Stroman, who I think at his ceiling and potential could be a 1B. When Syndergaard comes back, he hasn't really shown that he can be that full 1B for a full season yet. I'd argue, but I think 1B is also his ceiling. So you're looking at potentially four starters who have, uh, you know, one potential, 1A to 1B. And then Peterson, who, you know, maybe uh, right now is ceiling, I would say, I don't know, 2B. I think he could get there. Um, you know, even even just being like maybe 3A, 3B uh, would still be incredible for the Mets for, you know, to have those five guys. That's, that's incredible. Um, so... We'll, we'll see what happens with that, but I, I'm on the same page with you. And then maybe signing Odorizzi or somebody else, like if you know you want to give uh, Kluber a chance to see what he can do in a bounce back season. Um, I definitely like to go the starting pitching route. I can get into it later too, but we have we still have a potent offense, you know. So um, first, I I'm still there's a lot of inherent risk that comes with signing a guy like Bauer, like I said, who hasn't had you know. The most amazing, honestly, track record looking at his career, but how good he was last year, I think he can replicate that for years to come. Because you got to think you're going to sign this guy for no less than 30 mil a year. Um, maybe even towards 35. That's a lot of money. Um, so that's why I'd like to go a little deeper into starting pitching. Maybe get Bauer, and then also we can get Odorizzi. And we still have Mats. <laughs> Not that the depth is very promising, but there's guys who can fill those gaps, and you don't have to, say, call up Kilame prematurely, or you just you know, have to start Seawald again or Corey Oswald like we saw in 2019 or 2020. For me, it comes down to this. We've been kind of spoiled a little bit as baseball fans the last two off seasons, having last year Garrett Cole be a free agent, a very dominant pitcher, a top five pitcher in the MLB, and now this year Trevor Bauer. But 
realistically, these top tier pitchers mm-hmm. don't hit free agency very often. I think Huge. before Cole, it was probably Max Scherzer when he signed with the Nationals. Like even you have you have middle of the road pitchers getting huge contracts because like John Lester, uh, oh, right. James Paxton with mm-hmm. the Yankees, Patrick Corbin with the Nationals. These guys are getting massive contracts, and they're not like they they probably they're definitely getting overpaid. I mean, Steven Strasburg didn't hit free agency last year, but he's another top tier pitcher who uh, who was potentially going to hit it. So when you have the opportunity to kind of jump at these incredible starting pitchers, you you almost have to take it. That's why I'm I'm not that fearful of uh, Trevor Bauer. And Trevor Bauer, also his personality is that of like a, a crazy bulldog competitor. <laughs> Someone you want yeah. on your team. Like Trevor Bauer in a playoffs game is somebody you want. He's willing to go 12 innings if it needs to be, 170 pitches if that's what it takes to win the game. And I, th- I think we saw that in that Brave series. Uh, he pitched that game one. He gave up he, no runs over eight innings, and he was mm-hmm. at like I think over 110 pitches. And he wanted to go back out for the ninth inning because it was a zero-zero ball game. And that's what you want out of your pitcher. That's some Mart Hat, uh, sorry, Matt Harvey determination right there. Yeah, exactly. And Trevor Bauer is also not the type of guy who's going to get paid this offseason and be content. He's going to want to get paid, and he's going to want to win back-to-back Cy Youngs. He's going to want to outdo Jacob Degrom and two Cy Youngs, two more Cy Youngs, so he could have three in a row type thing. That's a type of competitor I want on my team. And that's why I want Trevor Bauer. I'm willing to throw like a obscene contract at him, a 30, 35 AAV contract, just because that I know him, DeGrom, and then you add in like a Stroman, a Syndergaard. That rotation, that even just those four, whoever your fifth starter is, whether that be like a Steven Matz, a David Peterson, a Kluber, uh, Oda Rizzi, that rotation, those top four, could easily win. They they could go weeks and weeks and weeks without losing a game. That's like uh, it's, absurd. It's absurd. I totally. I think that's a, such a big point to bring up is how rare it is to have a one A sitting there in the free agent market, and how prime are the conditions right now to have an owner with the amount of money that Steve Cohen has. It's such a great opportunity for the Mets to strike and get this guy into the rotation. Like you said, look at our 2015 team, and right like. You know, obviously Murphy helped us out so much in the playoffs, but to even get to that spot, I mean, we, we were cycling through DeGrom, Harvey, Wheeler, uh, Syndergaard, Mats. Mats was actually pitching well back then, so that was a dominant rotation in, in the playoffs, too. When you're cycling through a top three, that's, you know, DeGrom, Harvey, Syndergaard, and you have Wheeler in there as well, like, that is lethal, and it's really that rotation that let us also stay in games so that Murphy could work his Babe Ruth magic in the playoffs. Well, think of 2019, too, when we went on that crazy run of the end of July or early August. We had DeGrom, Syndergaard, uh, Wheeler, and Stroman, all four, four, star- four of our five starters, who were giving up like three runs a game. And then we mm. had that potent offense where Pete hit... And the potent offense. Pete hit over 50 home runs. J.D. Davis was all those hitting. Runs. Rosario exactly. hit at the end of 2019. It, like, as long as you have pitchers, starting pitchers, who could keep you in ball games, we have the offense... Currently, Currently, and I believe we're still going to add to that offense that will right. allow you to win games. And the second thing is the starting pitching depth and the starting pitching quality alleviates so much pressure from the bullpen. If you have a starting pitcher who could go, if you have three starting pitchers who could go seven innings like decently often, and you have your bullpen going two innings or six innings a series, that's insane. We have oh, the yeah. we have the bullpen this year too. I mean, Edwin Diaz pitched much better last year. We signed Trevor May. We hope to sign like a Brad Hand, and then all of a sudden we have Seth Lugo still in the bullpen as well. All of a sudden we have a team that's like 
we have a, you have a starter pitcher go six or seven, give two or three, and then you have a bullpen who's dominant, pitch the rest of the game. And then we have an offense who averages four and a half, five runs a game, and it's like, well, the math works there. We're going to win. <laughs> That's a recipe for success, exactly. <laughs> then maybe we'll actually have some games where we can win by a good margin. So even if you know we have these pitchers pitch later into games and our offense can score a bunch of runs, uh, you know maybe with Degrom's pitch if that's possible, we don't have to bring in you know Trevor May or whatever, you know being the eighth guy, Lugo, whatever, and then handing the ball off to Diaz or uh, probably Diaz is still going to be the closer. Um, so we can give these guys more of a rest and we could actually win games by five or six runs rather than you know relying on on one run wins every day. That's something I wanted to talk about as well, Mike, is the Mets offense and, you know, really how they blossom in the end of 2019 and also in the season of 2020. And I know, um, and I'm still in favor of adding, and I'm not trying to advocate not to spend. I just talked about, I'd love to divert more of those resources towards pitching, the bullpen is starting pitching, which I think we've already started to do. But I just want to uh, remind you guys how potent our offense was in 2020, especially considering certain guys didn't even hit or have good seasons. And, and in those two, right, we, um, you know, we had the most hits in all of baseball last year, the most hits, okay? We, uh, or sorry, sorry, the, the highest batting average in all of baseball. Uh, I think we were third in hits that might've been. That translated in the NL only to seventh in runs. Uh, I've talked about it, um, but our average as a team was 272. That is, I mean, it's the best in baseball last year. It's a very, uh, it was a very good offense. And why didn't it translate to runs, I think, uh, big reason. McNeil struggled a little bit uh, earlier on. He kind of righted that ship, but our three four hitters for uh, a lot of the season, you had Pete Alonzo and J.D. Davis, and these were guys who had off years, right? Uh, Alonzo came back at home runs. He ended up with 16 homers, which led the Mets, but he only batted 231. Wilson Ramos hit 239, right? Only five homers. Uh, Ahmed Rosario had an off year. He only hit 252. Uh, also, you know, he... Down the stretch, I think in September, he hit like 366, or definitely over 360. So you saw some flashes of promises in Rosario, but honestly, he kind of sucked that year. Uh, J.D. Davis hit 247. Um, and going back to Rosario, too, this is a guy who drove in 72 home or 72 uh, uh, runs batted in in 2019. So, you know, he's got some pop, and he really contributed to that latter half run of 2019 that we saw this Mets offense take off. Um, but even a guy, too, like Brandon Nimmo last year, don't really talk about him. Man, he hit 280, had eight home runs. Conforto had nine home runs. I mean, Conforto had a great year, uh, excellent year, fringe MVP candidate. Same thing with Dominic Smith. Um, if you think, you know, over the course of the year, we keep these core guys, add in depth for our starting pitching, strengthen the bullpen, and then maybe we make a move in the outfield, I mean, or, or, or at the catcher position. I, I would like personally to just get rid of Ramos. Um, because I, I still think I'd like to, you know, short up our defense because I don't think Nimmo at center field, anyone would argue, is the most uh, strong defense. We could definitely improve there. But he hit last year. I think, again, I also think I'm biased because I want this group of homegrown players and uh, like McNeil, Alonzo, Conforto, Nimmo to stay on the team and hit and win because it's really that foundation, that core group of players that builds out a successful franchise. And that's the recipe for long-term success for the Mets. So I kind of want to supplement in the starting pitching uh, side of things and, and, and keep guys uh, under Mets control for a while. But, you know, I, I think it's easy to lose track of, yes, we do want to bolster the offense, but do we really need to add, got like, I don't know, a Springer and a Real Muto or just some kind of, I don't, I don't really think we need necessarily, although it'd be nice to have, um, you know, revamped hitters. I think Alonzo will figure it out. 
for a full year to kind of average out the stats, I think the offense would have had time to click. What's your take on that? Uh, we need a catcher. Tomas Nito is currently, if the season started tomorrow, would be our starting catcher. Uh, so we need one. Right. Uh, obviously, the James McCann rumors had come out that the Mets were talking about a four-year deal with him. Uh, we had Jeremy Hefner, the pitching coach, Jeff McNeil, both follow him. And I, I think it was either Twitter or Instagram, which uh, which added more, uh, more uh, gas to the fire of the James McCann rumors. Mm-hmm. Then we had uh, somebody on Twitter had announced that it was a four- to 36-year deal. Uh, which I actually I actually like that uh, those numbers on that that, that does sound uh, very uh, like very provable, uh, but I also hope that those numbers I, I tweeted this the other day I hope those numbers are facade and that J T Ramuto's people saw those same numbers too right. and they're like oh my god they're close to a deal James McCann let's get in let's lower our expectations a little bit so one of the highest bidding teams the New York Mets will uh, and one of the, one of the teams that are up most for contention I know the Blue Jays are another team that is. Uh, has a lot of money to spend this year. But if you think about it, the Blue Jays are still in the division with the uh, Yankees and the Rays. So the Blue Jays have a lot of work to do in the sense that if they want to be contenders, there's two teams in the division they have to bypass themselves. The Mets are more – it's more focused primarily on the Braves. Uh, and the Mets have the ability – if the Mets make two or three offseason moves, they have the ability to out-hit and out-pitch the Braves uh, despite the Braves signing Charlie Morton and having Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, and Freddie Freeman. But – uh. So I think that if you're looking at it from a destination standpoint like that, I think the Mets are a little bit more attractive. Uh, JT Ramuta just played in the NL East as well, so he'd be familiar with the pitching. Uh, he's actually only played in the NL East uh, coming from Miami as, uh, before the Phillies. So I think that's another attractive thing. I think I tweeted this. Uh, if JT Ramuto signs like a 488, 484 deal where it's like 21 or 22 per year, that would be the ultimate Steve Cohen heist of the offseason, uh, signing a guy to that caliber, not paying him uh, – not paying him $100 million, I think, would be crazy. Uh, but, of course, I'm hopeful for that. But, yeah, I think starting catcher, when we start to boil it down to position players, I think starting catcher is the biggest need. Right. Uh, quickly followed by center fielder. Uh, right. I think, ideally, you move Brendan Nimmo to left field, uh, Dominic Smith to first base full-time, Pete Alonso DH, and then you have that center field opening. Because I think Brendan Nimmo right. is a capable left fielder right. he's, he's obviously McNeil at a second base yeah McNeil scenario. McNeil right. second base with Robbie Cano gone uh, Jimenez or Rosario at short I, I kind of lean towards Jimenez but uh, I know what did you say oh, the, the outside one at third base whoever doesn't play short or J.D. Or, Davis J.D. Davis yeah. we still have him yeah exactly um, yeah. But uh, so center fielder, obviously the priority there would be George Springer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my second center fielder would be uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Right. Uh, he's incredibly defensive. Incredibly defensive. Yes. Yeah, so. he, he might be the best in the league. So and at that point, incredible. if we have like a JT Ramuta behind the dish and Jackie Bradley Jr. in center, we've shirt up the middle of the infield and we've added a better hitting catcher. JT Ramuta is much better hitting than Wilson Ramos. And even though Jackie Bradley Jr. doesn't pose the same offensive threat as George Springer, we have a deep enough offense at the time where we can kind of allow a little bit of a offensive uh, liability, so so to speak, uh, from Jackie Bradley Jr. out in center. I think that's a team right there that is incredibly right. well put together, has guys throughout the entire order who can hit. You have guys at the beginning of the order who get on base, with Brandon Nemo, Jeff McNeil, and you have power hitters with Pete Alonso, JT Romuto, who's been known to hit, hit the ball out of the ballpark, Conforto from last year, Dom Smith. I think right. that's a really deep lineup. Uh, 
sign a couple bench players as well. But uh, I think that's a really deep lineup. And I think the Mets kind of tried to go that way last year when they signed Jake Marisnik, another very good uh, defensive center fielder. Marisnik obviously had a ton of injury problems last year. Never really came to fruition, especially over a 60-game season. It's kind of it's kind of tough to see the uh, defensive runs saved and like the defensive uh, – how a defensive center fielder can kind of benefit this team. But I think Jackie Bradley Jr. is an upgrade over Marisnik, obviously a downgrade over Springer, but somebody I think that's very attainable for the Mets and would allow the Mets to kind of sign that real Muto Bauer, which is what kind of us fans are hoping for. Right, yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying I'm out on real Muto, but, um, you know, if, if, if it came down to it, if real Muto uh, prohibited us from signing Bauer, I would rather, I'd elect to go the route that, Got James McCann and Bauer. Now I don't really know how that shakes down, um, but you know, obviously getting Ramoto would be great. But I just want to throw a couple stats at uh, people, just so they can kind of um, you know understand you know how good some of these guys were on offense uh, in 2020. So in OPS, the leaders in the National League were Juan Soto, Freddie Freeman, Marcelo Zuna at third, Dom Smith at fourth, and then Acuna Jr. at, at uh, coming in fifth. So Don Smith had an excellent year, as we remember. So this guy is, you know, up with literally the top names uh, in not only just the National League, but all of baseball in terms of OPS. Sticking with OPS, uh, you have Conforto at 14th with a 927 OPS. Um, And then right underneath him, Brandon Nimmo with 888 for his OPS. That's above Paul Goldschmidt uh, at 16th. And also 22, JT Romuto at 840. So, um, again, like positions differ, right? Realmoto coming from the catch position, that's obviously more rare and much more valuable. But um, I was just kind of surprised myself when I look back at the stats. Again, I favor these Mets. I'm definitely biased to the guys who came up in the system because I want them to succeed so badly. But, you know, Nimmo, again, he hit 280, man. Eight home runs, 888 OPS. Um, They can swing the bat more. I mean, I think, you know, you're looking at a lineup again right now, I'd like to keep these guys that includes a combination of Alonzo, potentially J.D. Davis, Jeff McNeil, Nimmo, uh, Conforto, Dominic Smith. I mean, this is as deep as a lineup even right now as I can remember going back to, I don't know, 2007, 2008, which is why I'm not the biggest on a Francisco Lindor trade. You know, I think we do have, you know, prospects in the the pipeline at, at shortstop. Um, I think what it would take to get him, I think he makes obviously right away a huge impact on the Mets. And so I definitely willing to admit I can be wrong here, but I'd rather be deeper on our offense than just to have another superstar come in and, and, you know, throw that money again, more towards starting pitching and catcher and maybe center fielder too, than I would rush to get a shortstop when I'd argue that's probably our deepest position right now, right? Like we have many guys who can play shortstop in some order of Jimenez, Rosario up top, and then number two there. Uh, and then you even have Guillaume who can come into play if, if, if need be. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm rushing to you know upgrade from a good shortstop uh, to, to a superstar. I'd rather go, let's get a very good center fielder, like you said, um, who can also hit. That's not just defensive first, like Jake Marisnik. Um, and then get an upgrade at the catch position, who in both ways, too, can hit and play the defensive catch position correctly, which Wilson Ramos could do neither in 2020. So if I had to make a wish list, number one would be Trevor Bauer, number two would be George Springer, number three would be Real Muto. And the only reason I think three is Real Muto, even though I think we have a greater need at catcher than center field, is because I think James McCann is a very good uh, secondary option to JT Real Muto. Uh, And the number four would be Francisco Lindor, but I would only trade Francisco Lindor for players who are currently on the Mets. 
If I could put together a package of Ahmed Rosario, J.D. Davis, and then a a high-tier prospect like a Brett Beatty or Mark Vientos, and then a mid-tier prospect, I think I'd do that. Uh, Especially a third-base prospect I think would be a – would be beneficial to the Mets because then you have Lindor who's 26 locked in shortstop hopefully for the next five to six years you can move Andres Jimenez over to third base who's shown he's capable of playing third base he played it very well last year he's probably the Mets best defensive player last year and showed that he could play it all uh any either the middle infield positions and play third base with extreme uh extreme success. So if you can put Andres Jimenez at third base, he's not your traditional third base, and I know a lot of third basemen are slower, don't have as much range, and are typically power hitters, uh, which isn't Jimenez's game. Jimenez is kind of that slap lefty hitter who shows his speed. If you can move Jimenez to third base and make him a non-traditional third baseman, where you have Francisco Lindor and Jimenez on that left side of the infield, I think that's an incredible defensive infield. I think that's an incredible young infield, too. You have McNeil. That's an infield of Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil, Francisco Lindor, and Andres Jimenez were all yeah. under 27 years old and all could be on the Mets for the next plus, five years. Plus defensively, uh, plus offensively. I'd even argue with Jimenez, too. Maybe not the power-hitting third baseman that you'd be used to around the league, but a guy, uh, yeah, so I guess kind of differently. More, he, he'd play the second base role. I think McNeil and Jimenez, they would kind of swap, almost interestingly, where McNeil would put up the offensive stats that you'd expect from a third baseman, and Jimenez would put up the stats of a second base, more of a scrappy hitter, high average, can steal a lot of bases. Obviously, that's kind of um, changing in today's game where uh, we're just seeing more home runs from, from more guys, and that slap hitter is harder to come across. But, you know, I, I like the idea of, of speed on the team. I think also uh, Francisco Lindor is somebody who kind of attributes to that uh, third base numbers as well because Lindor is a 20-plus home run hitter, and that's not typical for a shortstop. So I think, if you, like you said, if you add in a Jeff McNeil – Francisco Lindor, Andres Jimenez, total uh, season stats. I think that I think you're looking at like probably 60 home runs, 65 home runs between those three, <laughs> probably 220 RBIs. So if you split that up, that's like a 20 home run per position, 65, 70 RBIs per position. I think that's pretty solid for the infield, even though you have some untraditional players as a more of a contact power hitting second baseman, more of a power hitting shortstop than league average, and then a more of a contact third baseman than power hitter for the league average as well. I think that's a that's an infield that could be successful both offensively and definitely defensively. Right, yeah. Um, and, and again, too, obviously, yeah, odd year in 2020, the Mets finished 26-34 and 34 to put them in fourth place in the NL East. Um, I think, you know, I, I think a lot of Mets fans, too, might tend to forget how talented the team was and just, you know, how many bad breaks that we had in 2020 and just the starting pitching was just, a, you know, atrocious uh, with, with our roles in the bullpen as well. So, you know, I'm not saying let's not make big signings, keep making big signings, but we have, you know, we were so bullish coming into 2020, uh, especially with shortened uh, or expanded playoffs rather in the shortened season. We still have that core talent on the team. You know, we we're, we supplement with superstar signings with the idea of let's think long term and keep these guys because the only thing that I'm afraid of happening is if we sign too many players, and again, I'm not the financial whiz behind this who can figure out these contracts and understand how it's going to work in the long term, but I would be very, very disappointed and heartbroken as a fan if signings that we made now prevented us from, say, keeping Dom Smith, Alonzo, McNeil, Conforto, Nimmo, maybe maybe Nimmo, not as much, but those four uh, long term on the Mets. So I just want to make sure that, you know, I, I want to be a team that's successful and not just winning a World Series, you know, within the next, what did Cohen say, like three years, three or five years. I want to be a team that's in contention every single year. And I think that's possible. I think, too, that, you know, 
The scouting on the Mets has been good. It's brought those players that I just mentioned to the Mets. But also, if I had to pick one, obviously I want to win no matter what happens. But if I had to pick between winning from a team that's just signing free agents to a team that's you know building up their core and these players that you uh, watch develop and really became a part of the Mets uh, fans' hearts uh, and the community's hearts, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the latter route 100% of the time. I'm gonna win with our players and keep winning in the future. You know. Um, and, and, and that being said, let's be reasonable about it. You know, I'm not going to be like, let's keep Steven Matz because he's a player we brought up through our system and continue to develop him. No, you're, you're going to pitch to a 10 ERA. Like, I don't really care what happens to you. But for guys that have potential, let's say Nimmo, um, maybe even a guy like J.D. Davis, unless the offer on the table is really enticing and is successful for us in the long term, I think I'm a little more hesitant than other Mets fans to really jump at it. But either way, we were trying to win, right? Um, but yeah, so that's kind of my spiel with uh, the 2020 team. I'm really excited on how things are gonna go. Uh, again, I'm most excited for a Bauer offering. I don't know when it's gonna happen. I don't think any of us have a clear timeline on this. Again, I know there's talk too, as I mentioned earlier, of the Mets having a vacant GM position. Uh, Mike, I'm not as concerned about this. I don't know about you. I know Cohen said in his first press conference, that he didn't want guys learning on his dime. Um, I don't know really, you know, if that shied away some guys from potentially joining the Mets. But I, I'm not. I don't. I don't want to say I don't care who becomes the GM. But other than a guy like Theo Epstein, maybe, you know, it doesn't matter to me as much as long as we're just signing good players and we sign somebody who's competent. You know, who's just not an absolute train wreck. Uh, could be wrong there, but I, you know. I don't really think it's as important as it might be portrayed uh, by the media at times. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think Andy Martino said that really ridiculous thing the other day where he said a lot of oh, GMs yeah. are uh, afraid of the position because Steve Cohen has such high expectations and that winning World Series isn't realistic. And I think that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Uh, Not the World, mindset I want. Yeah, if you don't want to win a World Series with the amount of kind of capital that Steve Cohen is giving to you at, his, at your disposal, and if you don't think that you're capable enough for the job, then we don't want you in New York as a job. Uh, I know Chris Young, who is kind of a – he was in consideration for the Mets position, decided against it because he didn't want to move his family. He just took that position with the Texas Rangers. Right. Good for him. Uh, former Met. like to see that he's doing well. Uh, I know another name that's coming up is Billy Owens of the Oakland Athletics. Uh, Billy Owens apparently is one of the best talent evaluators in the MLB in the sense of scouting purposes. Uh, and Billy Bean said it himself. He said, Billy Owens, what he's good at, he's almost the best at in the entire major leagues. And what he's not good at, he's well aware. He's self-aware to the point where he knows he's not good at. And the Mets have the capital and the fit uh, and the uh, they have the ability at their disposal to kind of put in uh, different members within the organization that will help him at some of the uh, at some of the skills he does lack. And I think that's a <clears throat> that's a route we might want to look where we get a GM like a Billy Owens and then we have Sandy Alderson who's been a GM before. We still have Rico who's there. We still we could bring back like an Eric Dela Podesto or something like that where it's like we're kind of bolstering that front office and although not everybody is gonna have the general manager title, we have somebody in the general manager title that we trust and then we have people around him that are backing him up and reinforcing that front office. And I think Steve Cohen, that's what he intends on doing. That's what he's been doing with the analytics department where he kind of scratch, scratched the whole analytics department that Wilpons had in place and built his own because I think he really wants to be an analytically, analytically driven baseball team like the Tampa Bay Rays or like uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Where, and as you can see, those teams are incredibly successful year in and year out. And I think that's the kind of 
uh, franchise Steve Cohen's building, and that's what made him successful in his uh, hedge fund ownership was the fact that he could he had the analytics in place for that, and that's something he said he him and Sandy Olson had talked about the way that he manages his company is something similar how, is how he wants to manage the Mets as well. So, yeah, um, I, you know I, I think that's a really good take, and and, and just to kind of do a broad overview of the points that we're touching on, I think even even right now with the roster set up as is, a team with a rotation with Bauer in the rotation. It's hard to imagine with Syndergaard, I think slated to come back in July. Um, you know, if we have DeGrom, Bauer, Stroman as a top three and Peterson fourth with Syndergaard coming back, uh, it's hard to believe just with that rotation and the current lineup alone that we wouldn't be in the top two in the NL East, you know, fighting with the Braves. And again, we were similarly bullish going into 2020, but, um, you know, I, I think already the team's better and we just had so many unfortunate mishaps. Uh, you know, with Syndergaard and Stroman going down. So, you know, I'm just excited. I'm really excited for the 2021 uh, season. And, and I agree with you. The, the mindset should always be to win a World Series, even if that doesn't mean you're in win-now mode. I think the Mets are in win-now mode in that if, you know, we balance everything correctly, financials correctly, contracts correctly, we could be in win-now mode, um, you know, hopefully for years to come, maybe a decade. You know, to let's let's be a team like the Braves or the Cardinals that always seem to be in contention and start actually going to the playoffs in back-to-back years. I don't think the Mets have done that um, since their 2015 or 2015-2016 might have been one of the only times they've done that in the entire franchise history, which is absurd to think about. But and I think that's I think that's very possible. But yeah, so I think we're really excited to see what the offseason has to offer us. Um, right now, it's December 6th, and we still can't wait for the next uh, big news for the signings. We're following all the rumors. Uh, I think the next guy to go might be a McCann or uh, maybe Odorizzi. It seems like McCann's the hottest on the block right now. And talk to the Mets, but as you said, uh, Mike, perhaps that's strategical uh, from Cohen to try to pressure Realmuto into uh, signing more quickly. Maybe we can you know, get him, which would definitely be better. Uh, but again, my sights are on Bauer. So, anything else you want to add? Uh, Offseason's been slow. The Mets have made moves, though. I mean, t- uh, Trevor May, I think, is an incredible move. Yes. Uh, one that, one that uh, is going to go under the radar. One that a lot of Mets fans were... Almost did on this episode, but yes. One that a lot of Mets fans weren't necessarily expecting, but I think when it boils down to it and we're in the dog days of summer and... We have starters going seven, eight innings, and we're in that one-run ball game. We could bring in a guy like Trevor May to bridge that gap to uh, Seth Lugo or Edwin Diaz, whoever's closing at the end of the year. We're going to be really thankful of the fact that we have him. And he's an interactive Twitter follow for uh, Mets fans, which is nice too, because the more that you can kind of see the uh, humanized side of Mets players, the more you feel like you're part of the team yourself. And I really like Trevor May. I really like what he has to offer to the Mets, both uh, – Professionally and personally, I think he's gonna. I think he's a. From all accounts, I've heard he's an amazing teammate to have. Uh, someone in that bullpen who can kind of spark conversation. He's really close with Jeremy Hefner. A reason he said he signed. Uh, right. Also close with uh, now free agent Jake Odorizzi, who pitched for the Minnesota Twins as well. So maybe that's a strategic signing in and of itself. Not only getting a massive bullpen arm, but maybe somebody could help recruit other bullpen arms and other starters as well. So. Yeah, you know, I, I, really important to mention him as well. He's not the sexiest of signings, but it doesn't make him any less important. Uh, we need to bolster the bullpen. As you said, here's a guy, uh, the dog days of summer, could come in and help bridge that gap uh, to, to get games closed out. It's definitely a hole, uh, as we saw in 2020, for the Mets bullpen. So I think this is a great move, again, um, just to be smart about signings. And as something we mentioned on Twitter, too, you know, we don't need every signing to be this 
big, you know, uh, make headlines kind of deal. I think also, rightly so, Mets fans are a little impatient with all this money. We want to get that headline, so until we get it, we're going to be asking for it, and we're going to be a little nervous around it, but, you know, uh, I, I'm having trust in um, this organization. I've, uh, with a change in ownership, I think I'm gonna put my trust there and, and keep it there. And I think they're just waiting to make a big signing and in the meantime, making moves that we need to make. Uh, and that's how you run a successful team. So we'll see what uh, has to come. Mike and I will be covering it as always. Uh, you guys can follow us on Twitter at MetsManiacsPod. Also, you could go to the App Store, uh, or sorry, Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Don't have an app yet. Uh, please do that. It helps people find us. Uh, it's definitely big for the Mets Maniac show. Um, we love communicating with you guys too, so please add us on Twitter or you can follow our account. We're very active there. Until then, really excited to see uh, the next move we make. And yeah, hope you guys have a great week. Take care.